Chapter Six, Part One of Throckmorton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. Throckmorton by Molly Elliot Sewell. Chapter Six, Part One. In the few days that followed, Judith saw more plainly that Freck was deliberately casting his spell over Jacqueline, and from the soft and seductive flattery he had tried on her, Judith, at first, he exchanged something like sarcasm. He would discuss constancy before her, Judith meanwhile keeping her seat resolutely, but she could not prevent the tell-tale color from rising into her face. But when, as Freck generally did, he surmised that all the so-called constancy in this world wasn't exactly what it purported to be, she grew pale beneath his gaze. He watched her intently whenever she was with Throckmorton, and the mere consciousness of being watched embarrassed while it angered her. Freck, whose perceptions were of the quickest, saw far into the future, and often repeated in his own mind the old, old truth that all the passions of human nature, love, hope, despair, jealousy, and revenge, could be found within the quietest and most peaceful circle. The very next evening after Mrs. Sherrard's visit, Freck appeared in the dusky drawing-room, where Jacqueline sat crouched over the fire, and Judith, with her child in her arms, sang him quaint Mother Goose melodies. When Freck came within the fire's red circle of light, Judith observed that he had a violin and bow under his arm. Jacqueline jumped up delightedly. "'Oh, oh, do you know any music?' "'I can fiddle a little,' answered Freck, smiling. He settled himself, and, in the midst of the deep silence of twilight in the country, began a concerto of Brahms. The first movement, an allegro, he played with a dainty, soft trippingness that was fit for fairies dancing by moonlight. The next, a scherzo, was full of tender suggestiveness, a dream told in music. The third movement was deeper, more tragic, full of sorrow and wailing. As Freck drew the bow across the G-string, he would bring out tones as deep as the cello, while suddenly the sharp cry of the treble would cut into the sombre depths of the basso like the shriek of a soul in torment. A melody like a wandering spirit appeared out of the deep harmonies, and lost, yet ever found, would make itself heard with a sweet insistence, only to be swallowed up in a tempest of sound, like a bird lost in a storm. And presently there was an abatement, then a calm, and the music died, literally, amid the twilight dusk and gloom. As Freck, with strange eyes and his bow suspended, tremblingly, as if waiting for the spirit to return, ceased, there was a perfect silence. Jacqueline, who had never heard anything like it in her life, and who, all unknown to herself, was singularly susceptible to music, gazed at Freck as the magician who had made her dream dreams, and after a while cried out, "'Why do you play like that? I never heard anybody play so before.' In answer, Freck again smiled, and played a wild Hungarian dance, fit for the dancing of Bacantes, so full of barbaric clash and rhythm that Jacqueline suddenly sprang up and began to dance around the chairs and tables. Freck half turned to glance at her. He retarded the time and softened the tones, when Jacqueline, too, danced slowly and dreamily, until presently, with a storm and a rush of music, fortissimo and prestissimo, and a resounding blare of chords that sounded like the shouts of a victorious army, he stopped and lay back in his chair, still smiling. But, although Judith had twice Jacqueline's knowledge of music, with all her feeling for it, Freck was piqued to see that she did not for a moment confound his music with his personality. She seemed to take a malicious pleasure in complimenting him glibly, which is the last snub to an artist. Freck was so vexed by her indifference that he began to play cats mewing and dogs barking on his fiddle to frighten little Beverly, who looked at him with wide, scared eyes. 
never mind my darling cried judith laughing be a brave little boy only girls are scared at such things beverly thus exhorted summoned up his courage and proposed to get grandfather's sword to defend himself judith's laughter the defiant light in her eyes the passionate kiss she gave the boy as a reward for his bravery annoyed freck his vanity as an artist however was consoled by hearing simon peter's voice in an awed and solemn whisper from the door through which his woolly head was just visible in the surrounding darkness i clare to god that fiddle's got evils in it i hear some on em hollerin and cryin for to get out and some of em laughin and jumpin mars temple dem is spirits in that fiddle i knows it they are indeed and if i go down to the graveyard at midnight and play all the dead and gone temples will rise out of their graves and dance around in their grave clothes do you hear that said fret gravely lord god a'mighty yelled simon peter i go a sweep with a sifter a sieve over my head every night after this sifters always keep away to evils cause they slips through the holes and sure enough a sieve was hung up over simon peter's bed that very night with a rabbit's foot as an additional safeguard and a bunch of peacock's feathers over the fireplace was ruthlessly thrown into the fire to propitiate de evils when thursday evening came general temple was high and dry with the gout and mrs temple of course could not leave him alone to fight it out with delilah oh marsh you goin keep on havin the gout twill you are your old foot in the pocket i done told you so and i ain't feared to keep on tellin you so was delilah's job-like advice that's true snapped the general gad if i had had a thousand men in my brigade as feared as you i'd be damned if i would ever have surrendered at appomattox god forgive me for swearing i hope and pray he will my darling husband responded mrs temple with calm piety jacqueline was in a fever of delight as she always was when there was any prospect of going from home she danced up and down romped with little beverly and hugging him told him in a laughing whisper that she would see somebody at turkey thicket and somebody had beautiful black eyes and was only twenty-two years old judith too felt that pleasurable excitement of which she began to be less and less ashamed a few words dropped meaningly by throckmorton full of that sound sense which distinguished him made her look differently at life his philosophy was not mrs temple's he reminded judith that we should accept peace and tranquillity thankfully and that it was no sin to be happy and everything that throckmorton said commended itself to judith for the first time in her narrow and secluded life she enjoyed with him the pleasure of being as clever as she wanted to be he was no timid soul like edmund morford to fear a rival in a woman it never occurred to throckmorton to feel jealous of any woman's wit one of his greatest charms to judith was that he was not in the least afraid of her her quick feminine humor her natural acuteness her knack of pretty expression in speech and writing appeared in their true light as mere accomplishments contrasted with throckmorton's firm and masculine mind the conviction of his mental grasp his will-power all that goes to make a man fitted to command a woman had in it a subtle attraction for judith like the spell that beauty casts over a man he was the only man in all her surroundings whose calm superiority over her was perfectly plain to her it was only necessary for him to express an opinion that judith did not at once see its force she sometimes differed courteously with him but it began soon to be a perilous pleasure to her to find that usually throckmorton was infinitely wiser more liberal more just than herself when the thursday evening came only judith jacqueline and freck were to go it had turned bitterly cold simon peter sitting in solitary magnificence on the box handled the ribbons over the kentucky horse who dashed along so briskly that the carriage which was in the last stage of before the war decrepitude threatened to tumble to pieces and drop them all in the road going along jacqueline sat back in the carriage very quiet and silent freck with his back to the horses talked to judith 
occasionally in the darkness by a passing gleam he could see jacqueline's eyes shining what do you think of major throckmorton he asked judith although not versed in knowledge of the world judith was not devoid of self-possession the question though embarrassed her a little i-i think he is most interesting kind and military men are as a rule rather narrow don't you think i never saw enough to judge i should think they ought to be the other way every time i see throckmorton the consciousness comes to me that i have seen him before seen him under some tragical and unusual circumstances if i didn't know that those who have good consciences like myself should be above superstition i should say that in some previous state of being i had known him however i am too strictly orthodox in my beliefs to tolerate such notions but some time or other perhaps to-night i intend to find out from throckmorton himself if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting in another cycle or state of being there is by the way an ineffable impudence in throckmorton returning to this county now judith suspected that freck's peroration was made with the intention of provoking a reply they were driving along an open piece of the road and it was comparatively light in the carriage although there was no moon freck glanced up to see the cause of judith's silence caught the gleam of her white teeth in a broad smile she was laughing at him it certainly was delicious to hear temple freck commenting on anybody's having impudence in returning to the county freck who hated to be laughed at promised himself he would be avenged i'll make you wince my lady he thought to himself presently though judith said in a tone with a sharpness in it like one who has been wounded i can't imagine anybody applying the word impudence to major throckmorton he is very reserved very dignified throckmorton i see has an advocate and little cousin jackie what do you think of the other jackie jackie throckmorton i think he's perfectly delightful assented jacqueline after a pause freck said no more about the throckmortons the women were evidently against him there and soon they were driving up to the door at turkey thicket and going up the hall stairs to take off their wraps very much as on that last evening when mrs sherrard took occasion to rehabilitate throckmorton in the good graces of the county people as she was now trying to do with freck when judith and jacqueline came down the stairs freck met them at the foot jacqueline had pleaded hard to wear a white dress but mrs temple was inexorable she might catch cold consequently she wore a little prim quakerish gown of gray judith as usual was stately in black throckmorton was standing on the rug before the drawing-room fire talking gravely with mrs sherrard edmund morford was there and dr wortley who with jack throckmorton constituted the company mrs sherrard drew judith into the conversation that she had been carrying on with throckmorton he said to judith i will continue what i was saying but i assure you it is something i could speak of to but few people it is this absolute barring out on the part of the county people toward me not a soul except mrs sherrard and mrs temple has asked me to break bread i thought i knew virginians i thought them the kindest easiest least angular people in the world but upon my soul anything like this cold and deliberate ostracism i never witnessed why half the county is related to me and i've been to school with every man in it and yet i am a pariah you don't look at it from their point of view replied mrs sherrard with more patience than was her wont think how these people have suffered you see yourself never was there such ruin wrought and then remember that you are associated with that ruin can't you fancy the dull and silent resentment the cold anger with which they must regard all blasted yankees cheerfully remarked the rockmorton recovering his spirits a little but you know said mrs sherrard whose ideas on some subjects were rudimentary but speaking kindly though positively you mustn't wear your uniform down here throckmorton laughed rather harshly as i'm not going to be married or buried i can't see what chance i would have to wear it but what you say disposes me to put on my full-dress uniform with sword and chapeau and wear it to church on sunday 
then mrs sherrard went off after her latest passion temple freck and left judith and throckmorton standing together i think i understand you said judith with her pretty air of diffidence but as you know the people here have one principle which stands for honor and you have another you have got power and-and victory out of your principle and we have got nothing but ruin and defeat and wretchedness out of our principle how can you hold us to a strict account i do not god knows i do not but i want a little human kindness i get it from a few dr wortley who was my tutor at my grandfather's and has licked me a hundred times and morford and the families at turkey thicket and bam elms but none of them i think continued throckmorton looking into judith's eyes with admiration exactly understand how i feel as well as you what kept me in the army was as you say a principle of honor it was like a knife in me every southern officer who resigned i respected them because i knew as only the naval and military men knew that they were giving up not only their future and their children's future for what they thought right but that they knew the overwhelming odds against them i don't believe any one of them really expected success they knew too much it was a sacrifice most disinterested i could not go with them but i had to face as much obloquy among my people by staying in the army as they had to face in going out but i swear i never gave one thought to the advantage to me of staying where i was i stayed because i could not as a man of honor do otherwise i thought my own people would recognize this that by this time the bitterness would be over never mind said judith with a heavenly smile it will come it will come a little later mrs sherrard whispered to throckmorton are not my two beauties from bam elm sweet creatures very answered throckmorton a dark flush showing under his tan and sunburn little jacqueline is a charming creature oh pooh jacqueline you mean judith mrs beverley is most dignified charming and interesting but little miss jacky i should think she would be a nice playmate for your jack remarked mrs sherrard throckmorton looked awkward not to say foolish had he forgotten his forty-four years his iron-gray hair all the scars of life jacqueline and jack were inseparable from the start and their two heads were close together on the deep old-fashioned sofa at that very moment the major stole a march on me the other day going over to bam elms remarked jack confidentially however i'll get even with him yet oh how can you talk so about your own father why shouldn't i talk so about my own father because it's not right look here miss jacky nobody thinks as much of the major as i do he's the kindest noblest gamest chap alive but you see i'm a man and he's a man when he got married at twenty-one he took the risk of having a son in the field before he was ready to quit himself do you do you remember your mother asked jacqueline in a low voice no answered jack fixing his dark eyes seriously on jacqueline i have a miniature of her that my father gave me when i was twenty-one he keeps her picture in his room and on the anniversary of her death he spends the day alone once in a great while he has talked to me about her jacqueline glanced at throckmorton with new interest he was still talking to judith the pleased look on the major's face aroused the mischievous devil in jack in five minutes jacqueline to her disgust and disappointment found herself talking to dr wortley while jack had established himself on the other side of judith neither throckmorton nor judith was pleased to see him you ought to hear my father tell about some of his campaigns way back in the fifties remarked jack it's a good while ago but the major isn't sensitive about his age like some men perhaps the major was not but jack's observation was received in grim silence i am sure major throckmorton can tell us a great many interesting things answered judith smiling involuntarily particularly to us who lead such quiet lives and who know so little i sometimes wonder how i shall ever be able to bring up my boy i have so few ideas and they seem to be all rusting away i thought you were a great reader said throckmorton i like to read but my father is a trojan of a reader continued jack and his eyesight is really wonderful 
at this the major with the cast in his eye very obvious rose and walked over to where jacqueline was sitting jack had accomplished his object and ran his father out of the field but judith felt a sense of bitter disappointment however with the sweetness of her nature she overcame her resentful feelings toward jack and in spite of his boyish disposition to make people uncomfortable really began to like him throckmorton though was not ill-pleased on the whole it was by an effort that he had kept away from jacqueline until then but after talking with her a while he was not quite so well satisfied her childishness was pretty and the acuteness of her remarks sometimes surprised him but there was nothing to her she talked and thought about herself throckmorton tried once or twice to get her into the channel of rational conversation but jacqueline rebelled she acknowledged with a pretty smile that she hated books and that she was poor company for herself throckmorton felt a tinge of pity for her what would become of her twenty years hence so pretty so charming so inconsequent freck had in the meantime completed his conquest of mrs sherard presently he went to the piano and trolled out songs in a rich baritone playing his own accompaniments this musical gift was a revelation to mrs sherard it was not comparable though to his violin playing nevertheless it was enough to turn jacqueline's head a little freck sang a sentimental song with a tender refrain and every time he sang this refrain he cast a glance at jacqueline gradually the blood mounted to her face until when he stopped she was as rosy as the morning then freck sat down by her and after that jacqueline had no eyes for anybody else not even jack throckmorton saw it with a strong disgust for freck and with that same strange pang of jealousy he had felt before judith's angry disapproval burned within her but she made no attempt to circumvent freck until looking around after a while she missed him and jacqueline both judith watching her opportunity slipped out into the hall and there found the culprits jacqueline made a little futile effort to pretend that they were looking at some prints by the light of a solitary kerosene lamp but freck who at least had no pretense about him held on boldly to jacqueline's hand until she wrenched it away jacqueline dear said judith trying to speak naturally it is cold out here come in i'm not cold answered jacqueline after a pause but it is not polite to run away like this urged judith casting an angry look at freck who with folded arms was whistling softly i can't help that judith answered jacqueline pettishly why do you want me in that stiff drawing-room with old dr wortley and mrs sherard and-but jacqueline i want you there was no mistaking that tone go along jacky said freck with cheerful submission you'll be liable to catch some dreadful moral complaint if you breathe the same atmosphere with me too long i am a sinner of high degree i am jacqueline turned and sullenly followed judith back while freck smiling and unruffled walked by her side and then supper was served but jacqueline was perfectly distrait and could not keep her eyes off freck who was the life and soul of the party the supper was after the virginia order very good and so profuse it could not all be got on the table End of chapter 6, part 1. Recording by Denise Nordell Modesto, California.